I was thinking like tall can audio. Maybe if you were to have been years ago, it would have been like short, stubby, brown bottle audio. This is tall can audio. Welcome everybody inside an all new episode of the tall can audio podcast coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. We are on social media at Talk and Audio. Hope you'll follow along and let us know what you think about all these episodes. Uh, get subscribed there. Make sure you're following the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you are, go ahead, hit that follow button, hit the subscribe button. Uh, we'll do our best to keep the good stuff coming from you, from you, for you. My name's Matt Robinson. Thanks so much for checking out the show today. Happy to be welcoming in from Post Media. Tim Baines is here. What's happening today, man? You know what? I, I, all these episodes and all these years later, finally... <laughs> I get the invite. Like you, you have beer. Yes. And you talk sports. Yes. And finally you reached out. That's about the extent of what we do here. It's just beer and sports. And uh, I'm glad you said yes. I'll, I'll credit, as I said to you off air, our mutual friend there, Steve Bunda, who said, oh yeah, no, that's a guy you want to talk to for sure. So uh, we thank Steve Bunda for, for setting this up or, you know, getting me to reach out. I appreciate you coming in, man. No, it's going to be fun. We'll we'll talk some. We'll talk a little bit of everything. We will. And uh, the Red Blacks coming off uh, week one, uh, a loss. They're just a couple days. It's a short week as uh, week two looms uh, ahead against Calgary. That's the home opener. We'll get into all of that, but we always start in the same place uh, with uh, a pint that we're going to uh, try here. We've each got something. What did you go with out of the, uh, the the studio fridge there? We went with Canuck Pale Ale. I like the looks of the lager. <laughs> or the lager, yeah, the lager, the lager, lager. Sure. Uh, the pale ale. Um, the lumberjack. The lumberjack, and yeah, pretty good. Almost fitting for I give a... it. A, I give it a thumbs up. Okay. What's yeah. the brewery on that one? Is that uh, Great Lakes, was it? Or no, uh, it might is. have been Great Lakes. I can't remember. I, I think it is Great Lakes. Okay. It is Great Lakes. All there right, I thought so. Okay. And uh, pretty fitting for the theme of the team you cover and, uh, you know, pretty lumberjack-centric down there. We'll get into, uh, like I said, a bit of that here moving forward. I went with something I think I've had before, but it's hard to keep track after like 1,100 episodes, which beers you've had and which ones you haven't. This is from uh, the Cameron's Brewing Company down in Oakville, and uh, it is their Amber Red. Just kicking in around 5%. I love a good red. Uh, A lot of kind of maltiness up front to this one, almost kind of biscuity. I don't know. I, I, I say it all the time to guests who come in here. I'm not an expert on any of these beers, but I am an enthusiast is the term I like to use. And so, you, so 11, you've done 1100 episodes. Something like that. Does that mean you've had at least 1100 beers in your life? Yeah. Okay. At minimum. It's, it's simple math. <laughs> A lot of episodes are two beer shows okay. though. So it becomes okay. problematic. Oh. Plus the occasional off air beer, right? We do that a, a time or two. Okay. So. You're yeah. a beer enthusiast. An enthusiast, I think, is the right uh, the right word to go with there. Uh, look, there's a few different places we could start, but I'd like to walk our new guests, our first-time uh, people, through their career a little bit. Let us know uh, where they got their start. And you, maybe more than anybody, because you come from a place that I have spent an inordinate amount of my my time in as a kid. Uh, we had a... Well, we started for a year. We had a little, uh, you know, a little boat, a cruiser, right? On Scugog, it would come up through Lindsay Lock, often on the Friday night, just camp out at Rivera Park right there in Lindsay, and then you could take off on Saturday to go wherever you wanted to go. Later on, uh, would move closer to Bob Cajun, a slightly bigger boat as well as 
my uh, my siblings and I started to get larger. We didn't all fit in that one little uh, cubby cabin underneath. Uh, so quite familiar with the Lindsay Bob Cajun area, but that's where you have uh, that's where you made your. Uh, I don't know, your start. Did you grow up in Lindsay? Uh, tell tell me about your your uh, your I don't know, your connection to Lindsay because it's right there in your Twitter profile. Like just this is a something small you're town, a small, just a small town boy. Right. We say yes, yeah, small town Lindsay. Um, yeah, well, let's try. I'll try and condense this. But moved to Lindsay when I was eight. Okay, um, from so, where? Uh, I was born in Quebec. Okay, lived yeah. in Vaudreuil. Yeah, we moved. The family packed up and uh, to Ontario. Wonderful Lindsay. And what what brought the family to Lindsay? Why the move my, to Lindsay? Well, of all places. <laughs> I think my dad's work. I think there was yeah. a place willing to give him a paycheck. Fair enough, yeah. He worked for the railroad, worked for uh, CN. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, there we were off to Lindsay into new territory <laughs> and uh, spent all my, my school years in, in, in wonderful Lindsay and, and enjoyed the surrounding area. A great place to be in the summer. Fenland Falls, Cobaconk, Balsam Lake. Yes. Peterborough not far away. Fantastic. Not so much in the winter. <laughs> sort of a boring place. Right. But nah, I guess the summer's made up for it. We had a lot of good years. Went to IE Weldon Secondary. And uh, yeah, uh, speaking of tall cans, I guess there weren't tall cans back then, no. but I probably, probably the they. I was thinking like tall can <laughs> audio. Maybe if you were to have been years ago, it would have been like short, stubby, sure. brown bottle audio. <laughs> Or something, which may not have been quite as catchy a name. No, maybe not. But, but uh, yeah, I probably spent a little too much time doing that. And, yeah. and uh, but uh, we all have great memories of high school, and it led to—I was going to say—led to great things. But there, I found a career in journalism uh, later on uh, after leaving Lindsay. And uh, I think growing up, uh, I think a lot of us we we think we can be. Maybe I'll be a professional athlete. And for me, it was baseball or football. Mm-hmm. Um, or a musician. And so I bought a set of drums just in case the football or baseball didn't pan out. (laughs) And unfortunately, the professional football and baseball career kind of died pretty quickly, Uh, like very quickly. And uh, and the professional musician career maybe even died even quicker when I found out I wasn't a very good drummer. (laughs) So, uh, and and here I am. Uh, I I found journalism along the way because I figured if I couldn't be a musician and couldn't be an athlete, uh, maybe I could write about it, I guess. Sure. Uh, which maybe shocked some of my English teachers in high school when they, <laughs> if they found out that uh, I ended up in this career. But but here we go. Like all these years later, graduated, got him and doing this journalism thing. Uh, so where'd you go to journalism school? Or, or I was, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it started out at Sir Wilfrid Laurier University, a couple of years at Wilfrid Laurier. Again, kind of pursuing the football thing a bit. Um, well, that just, anyway, <laughs> I, lo- I loved, I, I loved it. I moved on, uh, after a couple of years, I, I, second year I started writing for the school paper, mm-hmm. uh, English was my, was my English and phys ed were my majors, started writing for the school paper and thought this was kind of fun. They did not offer a journalism program, right. transferred to Sheridan College in Oakville, which also happened to have a football program program. So I could extend okay. that football dream. I out. like it. Yeah. And I uh, graduated from the Sheridan program, uh, started out. Very Oakville-centric show. You've been there. That's where this brewery's from. There you go. Right. There you, uh, Oakville. Yeah. And where my wife's family, uh, so we have a big Oakville connection there. Yeah, wife okay. is from Oakville. I like that. Um, the journalism thing spun off, started out at a, a one, basically a one-man show uh, <laughs> 
put the paper together, took the pictures, wrote the editorials, uh, went oh, to wow. town, went to city council in Whitby. In Whitby. In Whitby. See, I uh, not far in from, There yeah. you go. Not far. The Whitby Free Press. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, once uh, a once a week paper yeah. uh, got paid the princely sum of one thousand dollars a month. Not not two hundred and fifty every every uh, like week. No, I got one paycheck, one thousand dollars a month. So make it last. <laughs> even back then, twelve thousand dollars wasn't a lot of money. No, I re- and and I remember. Uh, asking my wife to marry me, I, I went and asked her father, and he said, uh, "How much do you make?" <laughs> and I told him. Yeah. He sat me down. And he said, "Have you ever thought about getting into the investment business?" Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Maybe. "Ah, no, nah, this journalism thing isn't paying very well, <laughs> but I think I'll do okay." Yeah. And luckily, it worked out. We went from uh, we went from Whitby to Orangeville. Okay. To Timmins, we moved north oh, wow. for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, then back to Barrie, we were starting to move back to kind of the, the promised land. Uh, got the Toronto Sun and then back in 88, the Ottawa Sun opens up and lo and behold, I end up in Ottawa. Nice. And here we are, it's 88 to now. And at the time, are you moving into sports right away when you come to Ottawa or where do you get your start there at the Sun? Um, it, it basically, starting with Orangeville, it was in sports and then okay. in Toronto, I was not writing. I was on the sports desk copy editing, writing headlines, uh, designing pages, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The job in Ottawa came up, the paper, uh, and was offered a job as, I got a title, I was assistant sports editor. Ooh. And the other, the caveat to that was I would get to cover spring training um, each year. Nice. Uh, with the Montreal Expos. Okay. And then, uh, so where were they based? Because I'm a, I'm a Jays guy growing up, so that's I'm, I'm well aware of Dunedin, right? But I don't know where the Expos had their... Uh... West Palm Beach. West Palm, okay. Yeah, I think bad. back in the day, they, they would have training camp in a place called Jupiter. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, no, I'm probably wrong on that. They were... Anyway, Somebody's in Jupiter. They were, they were in so, Jupiter. They went yeah. to Jupiter later on. Anyway, covered the Expos. The Lynx came along. Yeah. So it, there, was, there was a great synergy there with the Lynx there, Expos farm team. So did that for a number of years. Uh, well, and in between that, the sports editor, lovely woman named Jane O'Hara, hmm. a former tennis player, national international tennis player, um, decided to leave and the j- position the sports editor opens up. Oh, wow. And there I am in the sports editor job, getting to do a bit of writing, mostly, I guess, <laughs> Editing and, and being in charge of, of a sports department for a number of years. <laughs> Fast forward a lot of years, and I was getting an itch to maybe write a bit more again. The Red Blacks were coming back. Um, they were looking for a, maybe another columnist at the Ottawa Sun. And I kind of jokingly suggested that I was their best guy for the job. Um, given that I had a bit of a football background, that it would be a great idea to hire somebody to cover the Red Blacks full time. That would have been probably two years, uh, so probably would have been about 2012. Right. And uh, they, even though I was, so I guess, sort of half joking, t- took it uh, took it to heart. And a couple of weeks later, got call, hauled into the office and, are you really serious about that? We would like to have you as our new, as a new sports columnist. Um, and with the idea being in 2014, you can cover the Red Blacks, cover everything Red Blacks leading into them. But come 2014, you will be our Red Blacks columnist slash beat writer. And here we are, like 2014, what's that, nine years yeah, later? Yeah. And uh, the team, well, we're still standing. They're established this time. Did you have the, 
I don't know, the misfortune of covering the Renegades and before that, the Gleberman's, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I was, I was sort of on the periphery. I would, I would write every now and then, but we had, as a sports editor, I would occasionally go and and write a column. Certainly it was a circus. Yeah. But I got to tell you, with Lonnie in town, uh, very Mm well-intentioned, um, it was there was never a lack of a story because there was always something oh, going sure. on. Like be, it was almost beyond belief, the 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 circus like atmosphere. And as a journalist, I mean, forget what's going. People are getting frustrated with what's going on. As a journalist, you love it because there are stories yes. in front of you. I mean, just when you thought it could not get crazier, it got crazier. Yeah. It was the glory days uh, of writing uh, well, writing just, about football. We just had yesterday on this show Graham Nichols who covers, uh, writes about the Senators, right? The, uh, for, for the good listener, I'll send you back wherever you're hearing us right now. If you want to check that out afterwards, just scroll down one episode, of, episode or visit talkinaudio.com. And, uh, you know, he, he writes about the Senators all the time. And we're just, as we sit here, right? New ownership announced today. They've got their new own. And it's kind of the turning of a page because the last several years for the Senators has been a gong show, right? With the ownership and everything that's gone on. And now, by all accounts, flipping to a more stable, more run-of-the-mill, business-like approach to this. You know, for fans, it's great. It stabilizes things. They should be excited. For people who are creating content every day, you're like, I kind of miss. I kind of miss the circus being in town. That was easy to cover, right? There's well, cer- something to talk cer- about. certainly with Eugene, uh, there was never a, a dull moment. No, so uh, it sounds like similar with Lonnie, right? With the with the Renegades and it's, the, before it's, that, the Rough Riders. I, I don't think fans can appreciate what kind of stable ownership that the Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group has brought to the Red Blacks. Because yes. for all these years, uh, uh, as we talked about, a circus-like atmosphere. This ownership group really stays in the background and lets... There's no news. There's you don't no, hear. You no, don't hear no. them howling about something or... Com- it's just they stay out and let their, their guys do... do Mark Gowdy, Adrian Sguerra, we talk about them. Um, they're the guys, they're the frontline guys doing the work. And, yeah. and, and sometimes no news is good news. And when your owner, owners aren't uh, throwing themselves out there and throwing themselves into the, the headlines <laughs> and the spotlight, it's probably not a bad thing. So... Everybody hopes for success on the football field. Um, I, I, I just give credit to, to, to the group that's behind the scenes, yes. the ownership group, first of all, for bringing back the team mm-hmm. and, uh, and just for kind of keeping, just staying in the background. It was a risk, right? When they, the, the, you would have a better handle on it than I would. Certainly I hadn't even moved up here yet that. They sort of talked about this idea that Ottawa was going to get a team, but there was no date set originally, right? It was like, we believe the market's ready, we have a group that's interested, and we're going to give them all the time they need to get set. Like that, I seem to recall vaguely that being sort of established, but not set in stone in a, uh, like a start date. Is that right? Like, I, I mean, I may get this wrong, but I'm just trying to remember back. There were There were different groups interested in putting a football team back in Ottawa. I think one of them was Frank D'Angelo hmm. um, out of Hamilton. And I'm going to try and remember what Frank was famous for. Was it beer or a- anyway, f- Frank was one of them. I think Jesse Palmer's dad, Bill Palmer. That sounds a, familiar. Was another yes. guy. So there were different groups. And then, and then there were, I think there was an approach made to Jeff Hunt. Mm-hmm. And then there were conversations with, with Roger and Greenberg. Time, like Jeff Hunt, very well established with the 67s, respected right. here in the market. Had, had turned the 67s really into, through, through marketing, mm-hmm. 
through a marketing prowess, had turned the 67s really into, into part of the conversation of the Ottawa yeah. sports landscape. So he was the right guy at the time. Um, certainly had his, has, had his nose in the Ottawa sports scene and uh, became involved. And then you get the power guys, the money guys, yeah. the Roger Greenbergs and the John Ruddies. Um, you get those guys involved and all of a sudden there's a, there becomes a plan and things start to move forward and, and the stadium begins to take shape. And, and all of a sudden, you know, finally it, it died twice. Yeah. But here we have with CFL back in Ottawa. And I mean, you'd like to think that it never should have gone away. Um, but it did twice. Yes. It died. So, I mean, let's, let's hope that we get some stability here and, and, and we get some victories. That's and be that, I mean, yeah. you remember the first couple of years that stadium was sold out every game. Yep. You couldn't get a ticket. And now uh, they're playing Thursday night and will they get 20,000 people? That, which is, that's about 5,000 plus short of a sellout. Mm-hmm. It's, you just hope that it's not, as they say, deja vu all over again. It's one of those things that, you know, maybe we should just get into it here. But like fans here, football fans in the nation's capital had been abused, right? Like they'd been through some things with the Rough Riders and the Renegades and and they, as you said, lined up when the, the Red Blacks came back, were announced. It had had some time to build momentum, um, the stadium renovations, everything that was going to go on there. And they, they did their part and they have for a very long time. And, you know, the team was actually pretty successful earlier than anyone would have expected. The first year was a little rough, perhaps predictably so. But after that, they get up and going, they're in a final, they end up winning a Grey Cup. And now you sort of get into this point where we're, where we are now, where the novelty has worn off in the sense that people are used to having a team again, but they're still for the most part, pretty loyal, the hardcore football fans here in the nation's capital. You don't hear a whole lot about, uh, you know, certainly not boycotts or anything like that, but we've heard over the years, especially the last couple this talk of you never, you don't, you don't get any home wins, right? And, and what that's worth to a fan base. And like, even if you're only going to win three or four games a year, a couple of those need to be at home. Like you need to hold that out to people as a reason to come. And you and I sort of loosely discussed this before we fired up the microphones, this idea of, you know, what fans are willing to tolerate, how thin is it getting? You referenced that the home opener at this point, as you and I sit and talk, isn't sold out, but most of the vibes like there still seems to be some goodwill. I enjoy going down there on a Friday night. It's a nice place to see a football game. It's a nice area. They, I like what they've done there, but we just keep losing. And I wonder what you think of this. Are are they at risk yet of really getting into trouble with that? Can they withstand another bad year? Or is this like a really, you know, a really crucial time that they have to start to show something here? I think uh, uh- as you said, they were successful early, and maybe part of the problem is that they is that expectations are high. They in 2015 they get to the Grey Cup, and in my mind, that's the best Ottawa Red Blacks team we've seen. Was the 2015 team? Wow! They okay. lose the team. They lose the Grey Cup late in the game. Yeah. Um, a coach's challenge. We won't go on about that. But <laughs> but then they win the Grey Cup in 2016. Exciting, mm-hmm. exciting Grey Cup final. Um, <laughs> I, I'd written my, they were way up at halftime and I'd r- kind of written my story where 
we're on deadline and, and it helps to write things ahead. Sure. So I've written my story. This is the greatest thing. There, Ottawa's finally won another Grey Cup. The story's, the story's almost written. And then the second half happens and the Argo, or the, the, the Argos. It was in Toronto though. Yeah. yeah Stampeders yeah. Are, yeah. are chipping away at the lead. And all of a sudden, it looks like they're not going to win. So as, as, as somebody writing a story on deadline, I got to tell you, it's the worst nightmare when what seems like an inevitability turns into something else and, and you're scrambling because you've got to have alternate leads written into your story. Yeah. And, and then Instead on of dead- replacing a paragraph, I'm right. replacing a story. <laughs> and, and, and then on deadline, you've got to make sure you've erased all references to the Red Blacks winning the Grey Cup. <laughs> so I'm going back and forth and then the game goes in overtime and I've got leads all, I've got things written all over <laughs> the place. possible. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, I, I didn't have a heart attack that night. So I, I guess I'm okay because... <laughs> That was, there was a lot of stress. So we get back to three Grey Cup appearances in four years. So mm-hmm. really expectations are built up. And then comes 2019, Rick Campbell's last season yeah. here as head coach. They're not a very good football team. And in fact, late in the year, it, it almost looked like some of the players, it, the, the effort wasn't there. And I think you can take, you can accept losing if your team is it fights to the end of the game, they fight back, and you know maybe you lose by a field goal. Mm-hmm. It's easier to accept losing if it looks like effort is there. And I think in that 2019 season, it didn't seem like it was always there. It didn't seem like the coaches were always on the same wavelength. Right. Um, there needed to be changes. Rick stepped away and has had success in BC. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a coaching change, and. Well, between the coaching change, I guess we have a pandemic. Yeah, the world closes. The world closes. <laughs> so we have no CFL season in 2020. And the Red Blacks come back in 2021. And then the, and, and they repeat the three-win season of 2019, which is, which is not good. No. Um, and, and based on the fact, well, for a lot of reasons, Paul Lapolice was given a chance to come back and coach in 2022. And as it turned out, 2022 Red Blacks weren't that much better than the 2021 Red Blacks. Right. They, they won four games. But as you said, if you're going to win four games, three of those better be at home. Right. Fans don't like when you finish four and 14. They don't like when you finish three and 15. They don't like losing. Eh, there's part of the fan base, the, the, maybe part of the younger demographic will sit there, have a couple of beers. They'll sit in the concourse with their friends and laugh and slap each other's back and then go for a couple of beers after the game. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, I'm sure they want to win, but maybe losing is not a big a deal. Yeah, those are your casual fans who are just there for something to do. Right? But for your core, yeah, your fan base, your, your guys, your, your dieharders, who some of these guys have been through the renegades, some of them have seen the Rough Riders, they're not happy. No. And as I asked the uh, OSEG CEO, Mark Gowdy, probably a, a couple of weeks ago, I asked him, what, how, do you fix, how do you fix what's going on? How do, you, how do you get full houses again? What do you have to do? And his answer was something about, as, as some lunatic NFL owner said, and referring to Al Davis, basically win, baby, win. Yeah. That's how you fix, uh, that's how you fix your attendance problems. First and foremost is you win more football games and be competitive home. Like there's nothing worse than paying money, buying a couple of expensive beers Mm -hmm. and seeing your team at halftime where you think we have no chance of winning this game. And then you see 
if you've got a crowd of 20,000, 5,000 of those people have left before the third quarter is yeah. over. That's, it, it's disastrous. So what has to happen this season? I'm not going to say they have to just be competitive at home. I mean, that's ne- that obviously they have to be competitive, but you got to win more football games. Yeah. And it starts with winning football games at home. You should have better than a 500 record at home. It's your advantage. You've got the home crowd. Yeah. How can you not win more football games at home? So we're going to find out, I guess, sooner rather than later. <laughs> they, I, I keep telling, there's a, they're telling me there's a different vibe around this football team. Uh, the players feel something different than they felt uh, a year ago. And, and I don't know how that works. You're, you're paid to play football, so... Your I effort guess the only vibe you, would be dice versus Lapo if that was just becoming a story. It, for that them, seems right? to be a positive vibe. Yeah. The players, as they, the, I, I've been told, they would go through a. Yeah. We will go through a wall for Bob Dice. He's that kind of a guy. He's a fiery guy. Um, I believe he will be a very good head coach. But here we sit, zero and one. Yep. With a game against Calgary. So what? What has to happen? They have to start winning football games. It's interesting eh? because we had GM uh, Sean Burke in here last week for a point to chat a little bit. And I sort of approached this with him. I said, like, I assume it's impossible as general manager to build a team to win home games. Like you, you have to just build a team to win games. But how do you ensure that your home fans are getting more out of this? And he was... He didn't shy away from anything I asked him. He was incredibly open, but he didn't really have much of an answer for that, right? Like if you're going to win four games, I guess it's just luck of the draw that some of them are at home and some are on the road, but none of them seem to be at home. And I just wonder, yeah, how long will fans who have been pretty patient, uh, even at 20,000, you know, it's a, it's not a great crowd, but it's not a bad crowd, but you'd like to think for your home opener, you're going to sell out. Like it does feel like the patience has started to wear thin a little bit here. I think a huge, huge key for them, you want to get your fans involved in the game. And if you're not doing much for the first quarter and the second quarter, it's tough to engage them at that point. What you need to do is score points early. And that doesn't mean marching the ball 70 yards downfield and then settling for a 20-yard Lewis Ward field goal time after time. It means marching the ball downfield, maybe a, a trick play, do something. They need to do things that are going to get the the audience involved. Because if you get that crowd involved early in the game, it's a difference maker. Yeah. That, it, it, that's the home advantage is when you've and got it feeds the on fans, itself, right? You, the players feed off that. Yeah. And but the, the fans longer, feed on it. They get right. louder because it's already loud and it, right. like it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. The right? longer the game is close, yeah. the more you're taking those fans out of the game yep. and you're taking away your home field advantage. When's the last time we saw an Ottawa Red Blacks team build an early lead and build a good early yeah. lead? No. I Score some points. No. Come out come out of that first half with a 14-3 lead. Yeah. 21 no. to 3 lead. It's funny, eh? Cuz uh Winnipeg just came out of a first half with a huge lead and it still almost wasn't enough. It, that was a hell yeah. of a game, but uh, look, it's 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 interesting, you know, we're a game into the season now, and I don't know how you felt about it, but watching game 1 of of this season felt an awful lot like watching most weeks of last season where the defense looked really good, really encouraging, and they just could not get anything going offensively. Now, there are obviously some similarities in terms of personnel there. Do you feel like this will just be better once Jeremiah Masoli walks back in here and you just sort of have to take what you can get for now? Or... 
is there, you know, a deeper problem than that, right? Because this looked a lot like last year, in my opinion, week one. I think what you need Nick Arbuckle to be is a game manager. Yeah. He threw three interceptions yeah. last game. Um, and he talked about it after the game and one of them kind of, he threw off, he threw off one leg and, and, and into double coverage and, and a couple of those passes were passes that can't be thrown. Now you've got to, every now and then you've got to trust your receiver. You throw downfield. If it's a 50, 50 ball, you want to think your receiver can come down with it, yep. but he needs to be usually in, in, in professional football, not just the CFL. There's a drop off from your number one to your number two. Yeah. Jeremiah Masoli is a number one quarterback. And they're, they're biding their time. Um, they need the game manager. Now, now Tyree Adams has taken some first team reps this week, but we'll see Nick Arbuckle as their starter on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And they need him to, to manage and, and, and kind of dink and dunk down the field every now and then, throw the ball a little longer, maybe a crossing, crossing route. Maybe you go long if, if it's there. People look at it and, and they say, why would they call that pass where they threw long into double coverage? Well, they call... When you call it, when when there's a play call, there are options for the quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's on the quarterback to make the right read. Sure, it's not like they are saying you're going to throw to Jalen Acklin long. That's one of the the options on the pass. But there are other guys involved as well. He's got four, five, maybe six options of places he can distribute the ball. So it's on him to make better decisions. I really believe they're confident that Jeremiah Masoli will be back. They have a bye week next week. Yeah. I really believe they think he'll be back for their third game. And they've got coming back sometime in July, people go, well, they need better receivers. You know, their receivers now are, are, are adequate enough. They're good enough. Jalen Acklin, one of the top receivers yeah. in the league. But they've got Braylon Addison and Shaq Evans coming back probably sometime in July before the halfway mark, who are both 1,000-yard receivers in the league. So if they can get fully healthy, and if, they, if Jeremiah is their number one quarterback, they got a pretty good receiving core. They spent some money on their offensive line in the mm-hmm. interior they should be able to build a running game. So you start to build all the components of an offense. If you can get a, a running game, kind of pushes your, your your passing game ahead because they don't know, maybe you're going to run the ball and they can't, sure. they, they can't all of a sudden, it, 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 it helps, it, they can't, you're not as predictable. Right. So they need to develop the running game. They need to be a bit more punishing. They talk about bullying the other team um, and, and developing a nastiness. Well, they need to start doing that. On offense, they need to score more points because you can't leave your defense on the field more than 50% of the time. No. Are you surprised that Masoli wasn't back to start the season? I think a lot of us as fans saw him go down early last season on a terrible hit uh, and assumed, okay, he's done for the year, but in all likelihood back to start the season. Now, uh, Berkey mentioned when he was in here last week, the, the setbacks that Masoli had with, you know, some infection troubles and stuff while he was recovering. But I think most of us, until we got to camp as fans, and I know you would have had a better eye on this, assumed, you know, week one, Jeremiah Masoli's under center. And that did not turn out to be the case. As you said, it, it looks like they're optimistic. He'll be ready to start game three in week four after this bye week. Um, were you surprised as camp was going along that it, it started to look like he wasn't going to be ready and that they're in this situation? I think they, I mean, to the Red Blacks' credit, they made it pretty clear very early on in camp that there was a chance he would not be ready. Mm-hmm. And and Sean Burke, well, he would have explained it better than I could explain it. There, there were complications. There was an infection. Um, there were some other things went on in the new year. And they're being really, really careful. Jeremiah 
fully practices. Well, he's listed as limited in the in, yeah. in the practice report. So let's go with he's limited in practice. But he's not far off, I don't think. And I could be really wrong on this, but he there's there's no problem with this throwing. People people liken it to the well, maybe this is like Matt Nichols. Okay. From a couple yeah. of years ago, Matt Nichols. <laughs> Couldn't throw the ball. No. There's a big difference between a guy coming off a leg injury, and it's not a good thing that he had a leg injury, but he's got no problems throwing the ball. I think he's pretty close, and and had this been a game later in the week, and maybe if they weren't looking at a bye week next week, they look at this as an opportunity, let's get through game two, Mm -hmm. got a home game, let's win game two, we're one-on-one, then you got a bye week. It's another week for Jeremiah to whatever needs to be rested. He's a week further into it. Right. I think he's pretty close. And, yeah, and he is taking reps. Like he is. He's taking, he's taking, well, he hasn't taken any, you need to, with such a short turnaround, you need to give your, uh, your starting yes. quarterback for this week. But through camp, he was practicing. He, he was. He, he, yeah. Not initially, but. No. Yeah. No, he's, I think he's pretty good. And, uh, and of course, as Ottawa sports fans, the, the panic button has been pressed and, <laughs> and on talk shows, it's been suggested that they cut their, their top receiver, Jalen Acklin, Oof. and that they should, Tyree Adams should start at quarterback, but we all, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but we're, we're because, I guess largely because this team has not been good for three years, um, we, we want change. Yeah. And sometimes change is not the best thing. And, 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 and obviously if we let fans run the team, <laughs> I, I, maybe they couldn't get a lot worse. Maybe, maybe they would still win three or four games, but, but sports franchises aren't in the habit of letting fans run the team. Again, there's it's an great. old expression. I can't remember who said it. That's like, if you find as a GM, if you find yourself listening to the fans, you'll be sitting with them soon enough. <laughs> That's absolutely, absolutely. It's true. They're, they're plotting their own course. Uh, they've decided to go with Nick Arbuckle. As I said, uh, the backup has taken some starting reps this week. Um, and so it wouldn't be surprising if they got off to a slow start, if they made the switch. I think the plan is, though, they, they need to get off. They want to get off to a fast start uh, in front of the home. It's not like Calgary looked great last week no. either. This is a team that's very beatable. Yeah. And I think Jake Meyer uh, will have some struggles against Ottawa's uh, front, well, front seven anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so the defense could be, uh, well, uh, let's put it this way. I expect big things of the defense, but the offense really, really needs, we can't have four Lewis Ward field goals being the only scoring that Ottawa gets. If you score 12 points against Calgary, you're probably not going to win. Yeah. No, it, it looks like this is based on week one, a beatable opponent that struggled a bit as well. And then you're going to have to, to get it going there. I wonder as you project forward. If Jeremiah Masoli returns and looks like we all hope he looks like at him in top form, Shaq Evans returns kind of later in July, the team gets healthy. How much better than last year are they? Is this a team good enough to, to make the playoffs if healthy? <laughs> it's, it's really, cause like Montreal, you've already in the hold of them by a game. You're like, I, that's a team you'd like to have beaten, right? It's tough to get into the pre- prediction game. Yeah. Because. Injuries happen. Uh, I mean, injuries, we, we don't know. Injuries injuries sure. just happen, and that they can be devastating. But if you look at that roster, is it significantly it, better than last year? They're a better team. And I don't think you're going to see anybody in the East no. run away with it. No. So if your first place team gets 11 wins, and you can work your way into the point where you get seven, eight wins, 
That should put you in pretty good spot for uh, really all you need. We've seen it in the CFL. It's to get into the playoffs. Yeah. Ottawa's great cup year, eight, nine, and one. Yeah. Yeah. Were they the best team in the East? They were not. Well, but you, well, you just, you just sorry, need... in the East, maybe, but not in the league. Like you would not have predicted that to be a championship no, team. You need to be getting, you need to be becoming a better football team late in the year and then go into the playoffs with momentum and then beat teams. Right. You just need to get into the playoffs. I think Ottawa is good enough to be a playoff team. Um, <laughs> who's going to be the team that uh, predicting the order? Yeah, I don't know. Is Toronto won the Grey Cup. Are are they are they the best team in the East? Arguably, they won yeah. the Grey. They're the yeah. Grey Cup champions. So you got to give them that edge. Hamilton made a lot of changes. Bo Levi Mitchell got left in the tank. We're... He, we'll see. They <laughs> yeah. didn't, they they fought back last week, yep. but didn't have a great game. Montreal, they beat Ottawa last week, but uh, um, I don't know. I don't think they're any better than Ottawa. No. So, so we'll see. Uh, it would certainly help. I mean, getting out to an O, being one and one and O and two is a pretty big difference. Yes. Um, I think you want to go into that bye week with some momentum. So there's a, it is two games into the season, but there's a lot riding on what you do early in the season as well. And momentum is a big thing. Uh, when you're not covering the Red Blacks, what story across the CFL this year? Like, what's interesting to you? I think last year we all kind of got swept up with with Nathan Rourke fever, right? Like how exciting that was, a Canadian quarterback dominating the league, and obviously he's moved on now to to try and make a name for himself in the NFL. What's interesting to you across the league this year? Who who might you be taking a look at? What is it that's that's got your interest through this season? Well, I mean, Hamilton's obviously interesting because of the number of changes they made, um, and to see what Bo has left. Um, he, I mean, arguably, along with Mike Riley, they were the two best quarterbacks in the CFL for a number of years. Yeah. So what does Bo have left? And, and, um, I think there's more there. And so that's an, I I think it's interesting to see because the guy at the top of his game, he was elite and we'll see Calgary made a decision to move on and go with Jake Meyer. We'll see what Bo has left there. uh, Hamilton is hosting the Grey Cup this year. There's a lot riding on it for Hamilton. Look at Winnipeg, a a team that just seems to go Grey Cup year after year after year, Surprisingly, lost the Grey Cup last year. A bit of a shocker, really. Hundred yeah, percent. And but they're getting older. I'm not saying Winnipeg is not good. They're 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 very very good. They had a receiver like Kenny Lawler. Um, they've got Dalton Schoen. Uh, they've got Zach Caleros. Recently voted the best, uh, the, the top in, in in TSN's top 50 CFL players. Right there's Zach Caleros right at the top, and it's hard to argue with that with what he's done for that franchise over the last few years. So I think it's just interesting. Winnipeg, guys like Stanley Bryant, uh, still playing, former most outstanding offensive lineman, still playing in an elite, elite level. Mm-hmm. Adam Bighill is getting older, still playing elite. Willie Jefferson, elite. Um, it, 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 it'll be interesting to see who, in, is there anybody in the West that can rise up? We got Edmonton was a bad football team last year. Saskatchewan ended up yeah. as a bad football team. BC doesn't have Nathan Rourke, but looked very good with Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback. Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, the, the races are going to be interesting in the West and maybe, maybe it's time for somebody else to take their turn at the top. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued kind of coming at, like to me, it's kind of a, I, I guess you'd say, as you've, you've correctly pointed out, like Winnipeg, I guess, still has to be the favorite until someone else steps up and proves that it's them. It feels as wide open this year as it has in a long time. Like just the way some of the teams have made changes, 
some of the hits that certain teams have taken with guys leaving or I don't know. I, I don't feel this year at all going into it like I have a really good handle on like this is the most likely Grey Cup uh, matchup or these will be the two division winners. I, I feel kind of going into this like it feels wide open to me. I think you're right. I mean, you look at it doesn't have the, the feeling that it did a few years ago when you had the, the Henry Burrises and yes. Mike Riley and Bo Levi Mitchell. And each team, it just seemed like each there, there were all these great quarterbacks in the league. Is that the biggest difference now? Is it the QB quality, you think? It feels think, plain right now a little or something. I, I don't know. I can't put a thumb on we it. Need, we need the younger guys to step up. Yeah. We need, we need yeah. like the Jake Myers or the Taylor Corneliuses because we've got guys like Zach Calero still playing at a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. You've got Bo, uh, you've got Jeremiah, uh, Vernon Adams has been around the league for a while. You've got these guys who've been around and they're very good quarterbacks, but you're waiting for that next level of guys yeah. to take the ne- like to be the next generation of quarterbacks. Do you think that's being impacted by all the... You know, I guess it already failed, but the, like the AAF and now, you know, we have the, the XFL coming back in. Like there's other options for American, what is it? It's not the UF, USFL. There's another one kicked up down there. Well, the USFL is uh, still there. Okay. But. So there are other options for American quarterbacks now that maybe are, uh, you know, not directly impacting the CFL, but in, in some ways, if those leagues catch on. You know, you get to stay at home in the U.S. Uh, for whatever we here in Canada think, it is an adjustment for Americans to come up here, uh, learn a slightly different game. I, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder if some of these kind of spring football leagues in the U.S. Are, are starting to impact. Yeah, I think it, ha- it has definitely affected the depth. And yeah. I think if one of those leagues was to stay around for a number of years and become a successful entity... Um, it would affect the quality of play, and, and quarterback is such a, a, a precision precision yeah. position. Um, so I think inevitably it would affect the quality of of guys coming north to play. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, that has to happen. The USFL or XFL have to be. It's not. It can't be a one year thing, or maybe even a two year thing. And if one of those leagues catches fire. And, and starts making money and yeah, establishes around, itself. Then I, I think the est- establishing themselves are a key to recruiting that top level of players that's looking, oh, is this going to be a one year thing? There's be a lot of those guys looking to not go to Canada if there was a viable option. And that's just reality. It sucks for us, but. Well, there's a lot of, probably a lot of perceptions about Canada yeah. that it's a, it's a whole, it is a different country. So sure. a lot of those guys, if they believe. For some of them, it's as simple chance. as we don't get ESPN up here. Right. Like that's, <laughs> that matters to some of these guys. It's. But they get ketchup chips. Yeah. Which they don't need, they don't even know it, but you got to come to Canada to get the ketchup no, chips. exactly. So. It's a reason to stay. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy of mine who used to interact with, uh, or see a couple times a year, this guy from uh, England, they were involved in the amateur sports scene or whatever, and they'd meet up, and my, my buddy was responsible for bringing several bags of ketchup chips, and this guy from England was responsible for bringing this one make of British mustard that we, <laughs> we don't get here. It was just this understood agreement. We're both going to show up with as much as we can carry, trade it off, and go home. So uh, it's a real thing that that does impact the way, uh, I don't know, the way people perceive Canada and, and the CFL. I, I wanted to ask you, maybe moving off the CFL here for a little bit, uh, I tend to, on this podcast, talk every now and then about the, the pro wrestling scene. And I'm not going to ask you what's going on necessarily right now, but I know for a time you covered uh, wrestling. You had a, a column as part of Post Media and you had it under a different name than your own. Uh, I wonder if you can kind of take us through how that opportunity arose, why you weren't necessarily tying your own name to it and why you eventually had to. 
Well, <laughs> um, I mean, for my for my first couple of years with uh, first in the Toronto Sun and then Ottawa Sun, we had a uh, actually now covering the Argos for the Toronto Sun. Frank Ziccarelli wrote a wrestling column. So roughly what year is this? This would have been going back to 80, Frank probably wrote it until maybe 88, 89. Okay. Um, and coinciding with me coming here. And I was, I was a bit of a wrestling fan dating back to my, to my youth. Sure. Um, watching, from going to watch the first WrestleMania pay-per-view at a, at like a closed circuit at a, I don't know, like at an arena or wherever sure, yeah. it was, it, not live. But so I was a bit of a wrestling well, fan. But and that I, was I, predated pay-per-view. That was the only way you could go to a movie theater was, or an arena yes. and they would put it up on the screen yes. and that was it. Um, so like, uh, like special delivery Jones and it was a, the heyday of Hulk Hogan <laughs> yes. and the ultimate warrior and all that. Um, so I decided, I think by then I'd moved up to sports editor and I decided I wanted to write a wrestling column. Like, you know, I, I figured I could get access to some of these, I could interview some of these guys sure. that I was watching on TV. It'd be a good opportunity for me to kind of get my, but I didn't want to put it under my own name because I'm, I'm thinking it's wrestling. If yes. I, I'm a sports editor of a paper, should I be writing about <laughs> wrestling? Like kind of everybody's <laughs> in their closet watching it, but yeah. no, it, maybe I shouldn't. So I came up with, well, I came up with the name Mr. X. Mr. X. And so for a number of years, oh, geez, I'm like, should I be saying this? It's all these years later and here I am coming out of the closet. Um, outing himself as Mr. X. I'm outing myself. It I, was I, him. I may or it may not Tim have been Baines Mr. X. Mr. X. I may or may not, like I may have been a mask involved with an X on it. Yeah, question mark or something. Something yeah. like that. I, I was from parts unknown. Yeah, of course. That stuff. So, um, so I wrote it under, probably for a number of years under the name Mr. X. And that was fine. And then, and then I get um, a, a call one day that I'm being, uh, there was a summons that I had to appear in court. Um, there was an ongoing case, a uh, promoter was unhappy that, uh, that a wrestler and I, and I had, I, the name kind of escapes me, sure. but there were two names that were very similar. And one guy was being promoted for a card and the other guy wasn't happy because he felt that the promoter was taking advantage and people would think it was him on the card. <laughs> so for whatever, I'm not sure how this would ever end up in court. But I was called to appear as a witness because I had referenced the card kind of in a note at the end of my column that probably wrote mostly about WWE things. Right. I'd referenced this local card and this guy was going to appear. And so I was called to appear in court and the judge looked over. So do over. you show up in court with like the Mr. I should have put, should have put like a mask on. on. Yeah. The whole persona and yeah, everything yeah. And, the, and the judge, uh, <laughs> I, presu- I presume you're Mr. X. <laughs> The judge is like, uh, okay, do we have Mr. X here? And is like, uh, yes, sir, I, I'm here. And, and and what is your what is your name? I mean, obviously, yeah, my name is Mr. and X. What <laughs> what don't you get about it? I I probably figured that wasn't a good idea no. with the judge. I figured I should come clean. And uh, so there, um, so yeah, it was like, yeah, here's my name. I, I'm Tim Baines, and. Uh, I write the column under the name Mr. X, and again, I'm not even sure why this would ever why this would ever get to court. What, one wrestler fighting another? Why? Yeah. Anyway, how I'm so, here today? Why, right? So, so I end up in court, and, and, and after that, I figured, ah, uh, I kind of outed myself today, and probably nobody will. Ever, it was, this is long before I've been unmasked Twitter and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, I've been unmasked, <laughs> and, and uh, I should come out, and, and I started writing it under my own name. The cool thing about the wrestling column. As kind of a, uh, as kind of a mark, mm-hmm. I mean, over the years, first of all, I got to go to, to several WrestleManias, um, and as a bit of a, from a, a long time wrestling fan, I look back at some of the experiences and, and I, I talked to Stone Cold Austin, nice. uh, my, my favorite wrestler. Sure. Um, 
a number of times, The Rock, I, I'm coaching a high school football team, and they set up an interview with The Rock, and it, ha- it coincided with the time I had to be at the field. And The Rock calls me on my cell phone, my BlackBerry at the time, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in the middle of a football field, and the guys are like, coach, coach, what's going on? I said, no, I'm on the phone with The Rock. And they're like, what? Well, no, it's not. And I said, no, seriously. I put it on speaker, and it's Dwayne Johnson. It's The Rock. So it, 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 and I got to do all these. Like, Suddenly some cool points It was the kids are coaching. It was, it was like, yeah, ooh, you know The Rock? Yeah, yeah I know yeah, him real well. friends. Yeah, yeah. He, look, he has myself. He has yeah. my number. <laughs> Um, it, the, the coolest thing, just quickly, the coolest yeah. thing of all time, I go into Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. I think it's North Carolina. Yeah. And the WWE had set up an interview with Ric Flair. Oh, wow. One-on-one. We sat in the arena. Might have been Raleigh now that I think. Anyway. Yeah. Um, we, we sit in the arena and guys down below are kind of doing their, they're practicing their, their stuff. They for yeah. that night's matches. And and Ric Flair and I are sitting alone in the arena and we just, it was probably 45 minutes. We just talked. Uh, wrestling and life and for somebody who grew up, that, I mean, nature boy, Ric Flair mm-hmm. is such a, was such a, always such an entertainer, a flamboyant. And the things he did outside, the stories that he told, you, you just can't imagine they're, be, they're, they're true. And, and, and he's talking and at the end of the conversation, he's like, Tim, so what are you doing later? And I said, well, we're going to watch a wrestling show and, you know, maybe go out for a beer. He says, Tim, here's my number. Call me and we're going to, you're going to go out and be naturized. Oh no. And I'm with a WWE handler, a PR girl. <laughs> and it's like, and we're later and my cell phone has almost died. If I can't call him, I'm like, call Rick, Rick wants to go out with us. <laughs> call him, call him. We never got, we never got in touch with oh, Rick. No. I didn't get naturized, <laughs> but I did get to sit with three WWE divas. Oh, that's not a bad. And have a couple of beers. So it was a pretty good that's consolation prize. That's not a bad prize. consolation prize at yeah, all. It was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So they, the wrestling column went on for a number of years. and then You it, may not have yet recovered had you been naturized, right? <laughs> Like, those I, nights apparently are just epic. Right? I, I may not have been. I may not have been covering football. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I may. None of those things may have happened. Who right. knows? Who knows? I may still be in North Carolina. May, so, maybe in jail somewhere. Yeah, exactly. But it, 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 so I and I wrote the wrestling column for a number of years, and I just about the time the Red Blacks came in, I, I'm like, I, I kind of evaluated and thought, well, now I'm going to cover legitimate fo- football. First of all, I may not have enough time to put into yeah. this. And that business had cooled off quite a bit. It was. By then I missed too. the Attitude Era, and yeah, I kind of grew a little did. sour yeah. in WWE. Sure. And sure. now I'm kind of into the whole All Elite Wrestling Same. AEW yeah. thing. I, I, the cool new kids now on and the block. then I'll watch a little WWE. Like I'm the same. I still watch all the big shows, the Rumble Mania. Like I'll check that stuff out. But week to week, am I sitting down to watch Raw? No, I'm sort of. It's you want the unpredictability. Yeah. It, the, this soap opera, these these muscle muscular soap opera stars. But you'll want the unpredictability like Stone Cold Steve Austin hopping in a Zamboni or, yeah, exactly. or Kurt Angle a with a truck. milk truck or, yeah. and, and Austin with the beer truck. Like that stuff is not happening. It is, so it's like the match, the ma- sure, sure, I guess it's fine. Yeah. But I miss some of that entertainment value that's gone away. But and, it's so funny, eh? Like you even going back to when you started it and you, you go under the, the name Mr. X, ever, to this day some of the most watched hours of television every week are professional wrestling. And most of us still try and not, not me. I'm not, there's millions of people watching this and there's a weirdly high percentage of them who don't want to admit that they're the ones watching it. Right. It's sort of an odd, it's like 
being a comic book nerd, except comic book nerds are happy to tell you that they're comic book nerds. Like that's what they're into. Wrestling fans, there's a certain percentage of us that are still kind of like, eh, I don't know how bad I really want to tie my name to that. It's, it's kind of strange. There's a, there's, there's just a fear of, of uh, uh, credibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Ooh, what are people going to think? Exactly. You know, I watch wrestling. Yeah, exactly. It's so. like, I better not watch this. It's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like watching porn. Like you're afraid to put it on. <laughs> Um, tell the people where they can find your work. I know, uh, local here in Ottawa, most people know, but we have listeners from across the country. Where can people find you? Well, uh, ottawasun.com. Uh, I'm covering the Red Blacks, well, pretty well every day. Yeah. Uh, if they're practicing or they're playing, I'm there. So ottawasun.com. dedicated guys left able to do this every day, cover the Well, league. it's also, I mean, there's a lot worse than, like I go down to the stadium, watch practice. I mean, think about it. Like for, for a guy who loves football, there's yeah. a lot of people out there. That if you can put some words together, if you can ask some questions that make sort of a bit of sense and then string some words together, it's not a bad gig, really. No. It's not a bad – and the other, and, and people can also uh, generally uh, tweet out my stories. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Tim, the letter C, and my last name, Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S. And there I am. I'm not the most active Twitter guy, but I, I post all my stories, good and bad. You know, they can't all be winners. <laughs> We'll make sure those links are posted in the show notes. And, and Tim is a worthwhile follow if you're a CFL fan, for sure. Uh, I get a lot of my uh, my Red Blacks news, certainly, from him day to day. And yeah, it, it's, you know, to the, the credit of the Ottawa Sun, like, there's not a lot of people that are still getting to do this day to day. And so it's to their credit that they're paying as much attention as they are to the league and to the team. It's It's pretty cool to be able to follow along in that regard. You and I talked before we fired up here that, you know, the the poor Argos, like, it's a struggle for those guys to get any attention down in Toronto at all. You and I both grew up Argonauts fans, and it's it's been downhill basically since the Blue Jays arrived. Like they've sort of swallowed up that uh, that part of the fan base. TFC comes in, the Raptors come in, and all of a sudden the attention being paid to the the Argos suffers. So with all the strife going on in the newspaper business these days, maybe post media doesn't realize I'm down there every day. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> tell them that I that I'm at the at the stadium every day. They just kinda of, like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Sure. But now they know. Uh, I love it. I appreciate you coming in to have a pint with us. I hope we can do this again down the road. If you're uh, you're up for that, like I said, thank you so much for uh, for coming in to talk, man. I appreciate it. We'll get it next time we go into all. We'll talk all about the Lindsay hotels and and Fenland Falls and all the all the good times, the good old days. It's funny, eh? Because uh, and actually, you uh, while you were looking for a beer in there, you saw a couple things I'd picked up from the Fenland Falls Brewing Company down there. We didn't. I, like I said, I grew up in Oshawa, and we moved up, like I said, to to Bob Cage and area and whatever afterwards. But now. I had a sister who moved just outside of Lindsay and, uh, her mother, my mother moved like less than a year later to within two or three blocks of them because that's where the grandkids were. So you were not going to be able to keep her away. Right. That's, and all of a sudden I have, uh, uh, not long after that, my cousin moves up there. All of a sudden I have all kinds of family in Lindsay that it used to be where we cottage. Now apparently it's where we live. It's, it's obviously the place to be. <laughs> obviously all the cool kids want to be in Lindsay, Ontario. So, uh, that is Tim Baines. Thanks again for coming in, man. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Matt Robinson. I appreciate you all checking out this episode of the podcast. Uh, like I mentioned a little while ago, if you want to go back to, uh, last week, you can check out Sean Burke, the general manager of the Red Blacks was in here. And, uh, just yesterday we had Graham Nichols talking about the, uh, uh, the, the senators finally naming their new owner, all of it at tallcanaudio.com or on the podcast feed, wherever you're hearing us right now. We'll, uh, wind this one down here. Thank you for listening and we'll see you all next time. 
What the hell is that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?